It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA. From the Tri Cities to Olympia to DC, we break down. The stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by McCary Meats in Basin City with your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. And on this Friday afternoon, we're going to let you know what some children in the Philadelphia mosque were singing. It's, it's very enlightening. And you mentioned it's Friday, and that means the donkey of shame will be out and about. And coming up, we'll talk with Paul Guppy from the Washington Policy Center about the recently ended legislative session. But first... Give us your bottom line. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. It is the bottom line. News Radio 610 KONA. A happy Friday afternoon. A gorgeous day out. 547-1610. You want to get involved. Also via email, 610KONA.com and on Twitter at bottom line 610. So today, Ed, on the heels of the end of the legislative session, Governor Zero. Oh, I'm sorry. Those are his poll numbers. Um, he decided to put out his climate change plan. Yeah. That would have... America, 100% clean. Carbon-free, baby. By 2030. Yep. Yes, a 10-year plan. All of America's coal plants would be closed by 2030. So how many states can we now check off the list that Inslee won't win? Um, anywhere there's coal plants? Yeah, pretty much. So it's at least 10, it's at least 10 states, minimum. Minimum 10 states that you can cross off the list that have uh, more than one coal plant that uh, operates in them. Now, he'll win, he would win Washington State if he were to get the nomination just because, uh, you know, people here would, would, would be delirious. Or I should say people on the west side would be delirious to uh, possibly have a former governor in the White House. Uh, but there are a number of states that, that, that will not be jiving with this plan. Uh, he's decided that uh, we can be carbon neutral in 10 years, even though uh, in six years his own state isn't anywhere close to that. Because, you know, hey, what, what, what's, what, what's, what, is, what is a presidential campaign without ambition, right? That's right. Absolutely. So his proposal would put America on a path to having all clean, renewable, and zero-emission electricity by 2035, and all the coal plants would be done by 2030. He uses a lot of language out of the Green New Deal because he's a big fan of that. Yeah. He's a big fan of that. Now, um, America would achieve net zero emissions all across economic sectors no later than 2045. So if you notice... The timeline gets a little bit longer as we go down the plan. I'm curious. He's, he set he, he he says a goal. He sets a deadline to reach the goal. By any chance did he mention how he might accomplish that um, feat? Well, um, gosh. Or is this out of the left-leaning... Great idea playbook, but no substance playbook. Well, well, again, it's uh, a lot of it has to do with with the ideas in the Green New Deal. Uh, one of the things that will not be part of his proposal is something that he tried to do in Washington State and failed on multiple occasions, and that is a carbon tax. So he will not have a carbon tax. Hmm. Okay, 
Okay. Which is which is which is very interesting. Um, but you know, it's interesting that the the, the plan will have a hundred percent clean new vehicles by twenty thirty. A hundred percent clean electricity by twenty thirty five. And a hundred percent clean new buildings by twenty thirty. Well, 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 how how are you going to get a hundred percent clean new buildings by twenty thirty? Uh, by uh, having rules in place that say you can't build new buildings without clean energy. Okay, we'll legislate it. That's how we'll do it. Well, okay, isn't that right? Sure, I guess. Um, as I'm looking over the plan, uh, instead of investing tax dollars in fossil fuel companies, invest in renewable energy and battery technology and the next generation of electric cars and more energy-efficient buildings. And that will create a demand for new manufactured products and skilled construction jobs and, and a major innovation and massive savings because Americans will pay, pay less to heat their homes and fuel their cars. And rebuilt communities hit by climate change. Do you know of a community in the United States that's had a rebuild yet due to climate change? No, but it's coming. Oh, okay. Because we're all going to die in twelve. Well, here's the other thing that makes that doesn't make sense. We're all going to be dead in twelve years. Hmm. So, I mean, his plan Mixed is messages. very ambitious. We're only going to have a year to live by the time his plan actually is completed. Here's here's uh... by, by where some of it's going to end. We're going to be dead. So. Here's the here's the interesting part to all, well there's a lot of interesting parts to this. Uh the thing that caught my eye, Rob, and you'll figure it out here in a moment, as will many of our regular listeners. The the thing I find am, amusing is he hearkened back to the JFK days mm-hmm. by saying that because the climate crisis is urgent, his words that he would instruct every department at the federal level to mobilize behind the one goal of 100% carbon-free emissions, much like the Kennedy Initiative to get us to the moon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Here's another little interesting piece out of it. Okay. He wants to use federal lands, offshore waters, and facilities to deploy more renewable energy and transmission. Okay, he uh, he says that harnessing just one percent of our nation's technical offshore wind energy resource potential could power six million American homes. Wait a minute, federal lands? You mean like federal forested lands? He, <laughs> you know, one percent, six million homes. How many homes are in America? No clue. There's probably, I would say, there's more than 6 million up and down the West Coast alone. Yeah. yeah sure, yeah. So, yeah, okay, 1%, 6 million homes. That leaves uh, a lot of a lot of other homes that are out there uh, that won't, yeah. So 1% of, of, by the way, the most, the, the, the least bankable renewable energy resource is wind. The least bankable. Why? Because it doesn't always blow. You mentioned the closing of the cold fire, uh, coal-fired uh, power plants. Um, he did. He did say that 
he he had done this in Washington State. Yeah, no, there's still one open. Yeah. But the rest of the country doesn't know that. Shh, don't, he don't he wants him. to go back to an Obama era policy. Oh. Yeah. You remember the remember the cash for clunkers plan? Oh yeah. That Obama had? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's gonna do cre- clean cars for clunkers. Oh to okay. offer fuel economy based trade and rebates to exchange their fuel inefficient cars or trucks like, you know, for for uh clean cars. Now, at the risk of sounding like you, where's the money coming from for this? Well, it's not just that, but think about it like this. Um, what would we identify as a clunker? We would identify a clunker as a vehicle that probably gets below 20 miles to the gallon. Mhm. Okay. How many or vehicles Or is X amount of years old or right. something? How many vehicles that are on the road that have been manufactured since I would say the mid 2000s outside of your like beastish SUVs get less than 20 miles to the gallon. That's the thing is the technology has has gone along because people want more fuel efficient cars. Yes. Right? And that's what they're asking for. The public is asking for that. So every year the the new cars that come out are a little bit better in that regard. Lower emissions I mean, does he think that we're all driving Dodge Darts or something that, you know, with smoke coming out the back? And I, I, I don't get it. The other thing I don't is get it. he wants to do a massive electric vehicle charging infrastructure. Okay. We, 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 okay. We, we see how massive the electric vehicle infrastructure is in Washington State. Well, that's the, the charging. Thing. The charging. You can't drive We've from here. About this. Yeah. You can't drive from here to Seattle. Because there aren't enough charging stations from here to Seattle in an electric vehicle. Yeah. Now, I I will give him this. If the infrastructure was in place, and granted it would cost a ton of money, but if the infrastructure was in place, it would, I think, motivate more people to think about getting an electric vehicle. Absolutely. I mean, isn't that one of the biggest knocks right now in our area? the, The biggest knock is there isn't an electric vehicle... That, well, I shouldn't say that. There could be an electric vehicle out there that's extremely high-priced that may get similar miles on a charge, I guess would be the way to say it, mm-hmm. as a maybe standard vehicle. Not a fuel-efficient vehicle, but maybe a standard vehicle, maybe 20 between 20 and 25 but usually those vehicles are 100 dollars you know the, the the high-end electric vehicles are extremely expensive the low ends don't hold that kind of a don't compare with the mileage right now and that's your biggest problem so until someone's able to create one that holds up to a standard and is affordable you're not getting anywhere close to this idea Five four seven one six ten. You want to get involved? Bottom line: News Radio six ten K O N A. More after this. Now back to the bottom line on News Radio six ten K O N A. Presented by McCary Meats in Basin City. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline 509-547-1610.
You can email us, too. Just go to the website, 610kona.com. Go to the bottom line page. Send us your question or your comment. This is the bottom line. News Radio 610-KONA. Ed Dawson, Rob Francis. Breaking down uh, Jay Inslee's plan. His his concepts. I don't even think it's really fair to call it a plan. Well, I'm okay. To to get America to 100% clean energy... um, in just a, a couple short decades. Um, five, four, seven, one, six, ten is the number. We're breaking it down, getting your thoughts. You know, the, the one thing, and this should surprise uh, probably about nobody, um, is, and as I'm going through this plan, uh, it's got wonderful graphics. It's, it's a very, oh, yeah. it's very nicely put together. The graphic that I'm most fond of Rob is the one that says 100% clean electricity by 2035 but it's not the words that got me it's the images an image of turbines wind turbines and a huge solar panel wind and solar i don't see anything resembling a nuclear power plant on there isn't hasn't it been Pretty well established that nuclear, although it is the boogeyman I get, is a pretty clean energy source. You know what what would impress me more? What would impress me more is if in this plan there was actually some, and, and, and I'm not one who thinks name dropping is a big deal, but in something like this, I would look at it and go, you know what? That means you've actually consulted people that are in this, in this, going in this direction with products that are going in this direction with design. There's nothing in there about uh, any kind of real data. Nothing about anything from you know. If you would have sat there and said, uh, you know, Elon Musk, uh, this or you know any other company that's involved in you know, electric vehicles or Mm -hmm. any of the things that he's proposing, I'd look at it and I'd give it a little bit more credibility. This sounds like he and AOC sat down over a bottle of wine uh, and uh, threw a couple of the other far left-wingers in there and said, what can we come up with? Wouldn't it be great to throw on paper? Dot, dot, dot. But here's the the problem with with, with part of what is... This is where Inslee's issue has been from the beginning he's trying to paint himself out to be this diehard climate change candidate but he's forgetting that there are others that are using not quite to the degree that he is but using climate change as part of their platform that are attracting more of the far left voters that he is looking for because they have other elements on their platform. He is a one-trick pony. He's not going to get the, the, these new darlings of the far left in the Democratic Party jumping on his bandwagon because he's got nothing else to offer them. That's right. He truly believes. And, and, and this, this may be the, the shining example of why we have had an absolute black hole in the governor's mansion for six years. He honestly believes he can compete for the nomination being a one-issue candidate in a race that now 
includes 21 candidates. Because huh. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio has announced that he's going to enter the race to run for president on the heels of a report coming out that his wife, who runs a nonprofit, can't find $860 million. But, you know, hey, that won't look bad at all. I, I, I ask anyone in the audience or just out in the ether that, that might be able to pick up this, uh, this audio signal. Um, when has truly a one-issue presidential candidate actually won, truthfully? There have been candidates that have prioritized things, but they haven't prioritized one thing and won. I don't know, a chicken in every pot? <laughs> Maybe we'd have to go back that far? No, I don't think we have to go back that far. I think if you... What was Obama? I was hoping change. Well, that, that, that was it. I mean, that's, that's all not he an did. issue. That's no, a concept. I'm right, talking but, about but, but that was an one, issue. Well, he didn't run on any issues. He ran on a concept. He ran on a single concept of hope and change. He had no ideas, no plans, no platform. It was get away from the bushes, hope and change. That was exactly what he ran on. Because if you go back and you listen to him, he didn't propose anything. He didn't talk about so, uh, uh, Obamacare. He didn't talk about health care and his platforms. He didn't talk about any of this stuff. Hope and change. Got an email from Dean in Kennewick. Dean writes, Inslee's plan sounds a lot like the five-year-old and 10-year pl- or five-year and 10-year plans of the USSR. They never succeeded with those either. Well, no, they never planned to succeed with those. The five and the are, are you sure the five and the ten don't refer to the millions of people that starved under socialist rule? Oh, it could be. Let in the hey, once again, I'll go back to that lovely statue at Fremont Park. The guy was responsible for five million people starving to death, but it's art. Well, yeah. However, however, if you wanted to put a statue of Trump up next to it, he'd be a Nazi. But it's okay that this guy starved five million of his own people. That's the problem. That's that's part of the issue. There is is we'll look past the fact that you know millions of his own people starved to death because socialism doesn't work. But he's a socialist and it's great, so it's a piece of art. Mind blowing to me, always will be. Did you know that under Jay's leadership, Washington oh. State has been a beacon of progress? Where tax increases? The state has been ranked the best place to work the number one economy in the nation, and one of the country's leading states for clean energy. Yeah, as Google, or I'm sorry, as as Amazon has uh, opened New World headquarters, Boeing has taken how many jobs over the course of the last six years out of the state of Washington? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Keep forgetting that. One thing I will I, I will give, I will give the uh, Jay Inslee for President campaign a little bit of credit. Um, you can you can donate a number of different, you know, amounts of money. This is, I guess, a little bit clever. You can donate $20.20, 2020. Can we donate compost? Um, I'm not going to go there. Let's take a time out. 547-1610, 509-547-1610. 
Email us, too, by going to the website, 610kona.com. Go to the bottom line page. Send us your question or comment. More of The Bottom Line after this. Can't get in by phone? Give us your bottom line through email. Send your thoughts from the bottom lines page at 610kona.com. Back to the bottom line, presented by McCary Meats in Basin City on News Radio 610KONA. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610KONA. It's Friday afternoon. Rob Francis said Dawson here, 547 1610. If you'd like to get involved in the conversation, we're going to shift gears just a little bit. You know, we just finished talking about the pipe dream that was Governor Inslee's clean energy plan for 2020. But a little bit of that worked its way into the state legislature and, and into uh, into a couple of bills this year in this session. Joining us to discuss that and many other aspects of uh, the now-ended session is the vice president in charge of research for the Washington Policy Center, Paul Guppy. Thanks for your time this afternoon, Paul. We do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be on. So first question, Paul, we know that taxes were raised significantly, somewhere to the tune, I think, if I heard, about $25 million. Is that correct? Or $25 billion. Well, Right. It's, altogether, it's $2.5 billion, $2.5 billion added on over the next four years. Wow. And now, how much of that is going to be what we would consider regressive? All of it. <laughs> so wait, 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 time out, time out. The same people that control the legislature and the governor's mansion, the same people for the last half a decade, and even going into this section, harped on how regressive our tax system is and how much we have to change it, just dumped $2.5 billion more regressive taxes on the people of Washington State. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, I can give you some examples. They raised the tax on home sales. They added B&O taxes to professional services. They added a new tax on banks, which just gets passed on to consumers. They added, um, uh, they took away the non-resident sales tax, which hurts border communities um, who are trying to attract customers from places like Oregon. Uh, every one of these taxes is designed in a way that it hits the lowest income people the hardest, uh, middle class people. Uh, these are regressive taxes that are in place. And then, as you pointed out, lawmakers who complain about them keep increasing the rate and adding to the burden, e- even while they complain about how regressive our tax system is. So they, they do both at the same time. Is there an end goal to this? I mean, is, is there a plan by Democratic lawmakers in, in continuing to increase these regressive taxes? Do they have some kind of end goal in mind by doing this, or are they just so tax crazy that they're blind to what's going on yeah they are definitely blind to the long-term effects they think in terms of how much people can tolerate incrementally as to how much they'll add if you debate with folks on the left which we at the washington policy center do all the time they will say idealistically that well we need to we need an income a progressive income tax Uh, And they say that that will take care of the regressive tax system. And then when you ask them, well, which of the regressive taxes that we have now, sales tax, gas tax, property taxes, which one of those would you like to eliminate to swap out for this magical income tax in the future? And they never identify one of those. So what they want is all of the above. The regressive taxes we have now, plus the increases they just enacted this year, plus at some future date, 
a progressive income tax on top of that. We're talking with Paul Guppy, vice president in charge of research with the Washington Policy Center here on the bottom line. Now, Paul, I heard a state senator last night say that that exactly is the goal, that we tax people to such a degree that eventually it gets to a point that the spend, that when the economy does eventually take that downturn mm-hmm. and all this spending is already allotted, that there is no choice other than to enact an income tax or a capital gains tax to be able to cover all the spending that currently exists. Exactly. So we've noticed this pattern over the years as well, because Washington Policy Center, of course, argues for reducing the financial burden that government places on us. So during economic hard times, during the recession, we're told that the government can't afford it, quote unquote, e- even though working families are struggling and people are losing their jobs. We're still told, oh, there isn't enough revenue. Then when we get into the hot Trump economy, which we're in now, and money is literally pouring into, into the Treasury to the tune of about $4 billion more, uh, then, they, then we're told, oh, well, you know, we're going to spend all of that plus add more in taxes. The next downturn, again, we'll be told the government is short on money and now we need an income tax. So there is definitely a strategy to accomplish that, which is out there. We are trying to provide an answer to that, and, and I can explain that as well. But, but that's the, the definite public debate that's being created. Now, Paul, one of the other taxes we know, uh, they, they love to go back to the gas tax, even though my understanding is nothing that's going to be generated by any of the increases that are coming in the gas tax are going to go to roads, highways, or anything like that. It's not going to go to infrastructure. What are we looking at over the next couple of years as far as an increase to gas taxes? Yeah, there are three approaches. Uh, number one, which they just did over the weekend, and that is to impose a per-barrel tax on oil. So that was done so that the public didn't think of that as being a gas tax. But the result is, you know, if you tax oil at the refinery, that comes down to the pump. And that's going to add about two cents a gallon to the uh, cost of gas on top of the 67 cents we already pay. The second argument will be just increase the gas tax. It's outdated. We haven't raised it in a certain amount of time because of inflation. People are driving fewer miles. Cars are more efficient. You get this whole case. Therefore, Instead of what the, the government taxes now, we need to add a nickel or eight cents or ten cents onto the tax. I mean, we pay sixty-seven cents of every gallon now is paid in tax, so they would just want to add on top of that. And then the third strategy is they're floating this idea. It's fun to be in the policy world because you get to see all the science fiction that's out there. A mileage tax. They call it a road usage charge. So sometimes you'll hear this phrase, RUC. What that means is a tax on every mile that you drive. Your car would have a transponder. You have to report your uh, odometer. Or they even want to use smartphones. You know, wherever the smartphone goes in your car, the state would tax you per mile, and they would add a new tax on top of the gas tax we already pay. Well, I'd just leave my cell phone at home then. Exactly. They, you know, they have various enforcement mechanisms. But the whole point about a mileage tax is it really restricts people's mobility because, of course, the government would create data on where everybody goes. And financially, it would be added to the existing tax. You know, it's, it's stunning to me that with the amount of revenue that our state has been bringing in over the last couple of years, that there is this need. And now, granted, of course, ideology is different. But Mm -hmm. there is this need and desire to 
continue to pour on in every small manner they possibly can. Are we? What are we looking at? I just want to look ahead real quick to to next year's session because we know that sometimes it, they they will dive into some uh, they'll dive into some financial elements when it comes down to trying to uh, balance things out or, or look at certain areas from the budget that might need to be uh, revisited. Are, are there any inklings so far uh, that the coming session in 2020 is going to bring with it any more of this? Uh, yes, in the sense that every quarter, the Office of Financial Management in Olympia provides lawmakers with a revenue report. And every time, again, with the good economy, that the state finds, surprisingly, that they have another $200, $300 million to spend that they didn't have three months before. In January next year, that will definitely be the case. The legislature will meet for a short, about a 60-day session to make, quote, adjustments in the budget. All of these adjustments will be in the upward direction and will at whatever new revenue is coming in will be just folded into the budget and they will spend it. What they will not do, hopefully, is add new taxes on top of that. 2020 is an election year. We know that the majority Democrats in the legislature are very nervous about districts. In fact, we already heard from a number of members, Democrat members, who said, I'm not voting for these taxes because they're afraid that they're going to get voted out the next year. So uh, with the coming election in 2020, we're seeing the Democrats pull back a little bit. They will definitely spend as much as they can, but they will probably be too nervous to add any major new taxes. We're talking with Paul Guppy, vice president in charge of research at the Washington Policy Center here on the bottom line. Outside of the uh, taxation legislation, which there was a plethora of in this session, uh, what were some of the other things that the Washington Policy Center took notice of that are just bad business for Washington State? Yeah, well, there's some good news. One is because of that nervousness I mentioned about the Democrats politically is they did not uh, even vote on uh, Governor Inslee's capital gains tax, income tax, uh, to try to create a new tax on investments, which, of course, means people's savings accounts, their their retirement accounts. So that died. Um, Another proposal that died was an idea for the state of Washington to create a government bank, to create a state bank. Again, People thought, why is the government competing against its own citizens in the financial sector? Uh, why should public officials be, be running a bank? So that idea was killed. And then another piece of good news is that a carbon tax that Governor Inslee was pushing for very hard as part of his climate change agenda because he's running for president. Uh, that was also defeated, mainly because of it, it was so expensive. And then maybe one more issue I'll mention is that um, they did pass um, – um, an initiative called Initiative 1000, yes. which uh, repeals the ban on affirmative action. It brings race-based hiring, contracting, and in education, university admissions. Uh, the legislature enacted that, and so now the state is going to go back to using ethnic, their perception of a person's ethnicity or race in hiring and contracting and getting into the university. Now, we might be voting on that in November. It's possible that that initiative might be repealed. But um, the legislature went ahead in just the last 24 hours of the session, and uh, they decided that uh, it's okay for government officials to use race and ethnicity and gender 
in the way they manage government programs. So that's something new. Paul Guppy, vice president in charge of research for the Washington Policy Center, joining us here on the bottom line. Um, the B&O bills, Paul, that passed, we, we know that some of them were very specifically targeted. Uh, one at banks um, we discussed a little bit earlier. I understand that credit unions were not included in that. Why is that? Right. Good point. You're on top of this. Yes, credit unions were carved out because they are a major part of supporting the Democrats. So unions, uh, labor unions and credit unions in the financial sector tend to get special treatment when it becomes uh, when it comes to financial regulation. The the traditional thinking is that a credit union represents a small community of people, a group of workers in one industry sector, or people who are members of some association, uh, and therefore, you know, it's more like a neighborhood bank. The modern credit union, as you know, if you look at Navy Federal Credit Union or a Boeing Credit Union or any of the big ones in eastern Washington, they are not just restricted to their members. They basically function exactly like banks, but they still like to have this political protection where they don't have to pay the same taxes that a traditional bank does. So when you look at this going into effect, how much is this B&O kick against the banks going to uneven the playing field? Well, quite a bit. Um, They did target it to larger banks, and that actually creates a constitutional problem because there is likely to be a legal challenge that the tax being applied only to larger banks interferes with interstate commerce because the larger banks tend to be national banks. So you could just have a straight-up commerce violation where a state is not permitted to impose taxes on businesses in the other 49 states, but not in Washington state. So there will be a legal challenge here, and that tax actually might get struck down. And, of course, we think that's a good thing. We, We think the taxes should be low, and fair and equally applied to everyone. Now, the other B&O, uh, there's another B&O bill that passed as well that also targeted specific industries. Mm-hmm. Um, will that be coming for a challenge as well? Since my understanding is most taxes, especially when you talk about a B&O, you can't just single out individual groups. It, it's it's supposed to be by a, by a classification or a category. Right. And on that one, the legislature is on stronger legal ground because they expanded the B&O tax to professional services. So traditionally, it had been the B&O tax was paid by manufacturers, contractors, those kinds of businesses. And uh, people who ran single professional services, didn't they paid a different kind of B&O tax. So what the legislature did, as you know, there are two ways to raise a tax. You can you can increase the rate that people are paying, or you can expand the base. And that's what the legislature did with the B&O tax. They expanded it to professional services that hadn't been covered before. Of course, that, that hits small entrepreneurs. <laughs> so, yeah. again, you know, we're trying to promote an economy that encourages people to take risks, to, to pursue their dreams in a per, certain professional area, a massage therapist, um, a person who wants to open a one- or two-person law office, and this B&O tax is targeted at exactly those kinds of entrepreneurs. Paul Gubby, Executive Vice President in Charge of Research with the Washington Policy Center. We appreciate your time this afternoon, sir. Thank you for joining us, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Paul Gubby, the Vice President in Charge of Research for the Washington Policy Center, joining us and kind of breaking those taxes down a little bit further so that you know exactly 
where your pocketbook is going to feel the pull of the vacuum cleaner. More of the bottom line next. Join the show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. Back to the bottom line with Rob and Ed. Presented by McCary Meats in Basin City on News Radio 610. K-O-N-A. You can email us, too. Just go to the website, 610kona.com. Go to the bottom line page. Send us your question or your comment on this Friday afternoon, Rob. Well, I'll tell you, be prepared for the next next year or two where it, it's it's going to be tough sledding if you're a middle class, uh, lower middle class family because you're going to get it in the shorts and, you know, we talk about it ad nauseum over here, but, but you know, people here understand. They get it. It's the people on the other side of the state. It's the people in the rural communities on the western side. It's the people that live outside of King County, outside of Pierce County, the people in Clark County, the people in, you know, in, in, in Jefferson County that don't necessarily have the same resources that those in King and Pierce do, and, and even Snohomish. These communities are going to get racked by these tax increases. Maybe, just maybe, this will help swing. And it's not going to swing the balance anywhere near enough in the House. In fact, when was the last time the Republicans had control of the House in Washington State? Yeah. It's been forever. You know, could it swing back in the other direction senatorially? Maybe. Maybe. But I, I, to me, to continue to vote people in, they're going to continue to take money out of your pocket and spend it nowhere. You may as well just hit yourself in the head with a shoe over and over again. You're asking for it. I mean, I know there's people that want to pay more taxes. You can volunteer to do that. You don't have to bring everybody else along with you. Yeah. You don't have to drag the rest of the state down. You can voluntarily pay more taxes. Make some charitable donations to places that you want to make charitable donations to. If you're somebody who's overly concerned about the homeless, don't have the government tax the Jesus out of everybody else. Make a donation. Do your part individually. Don't bring everybody down with you. And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of these things that we hear – Democrats campaign about, for example, climate change, okay? Do you realize, and this came out about a week or two ago, that if you look at the idea, if you look at the ideologies combined with the actions, there are more conservatives that do more for the environment as a whole because the difference is they don't ask for a pat on the back. They just do it. They just do it. They do it without the fanfare. They do it without calling for the credit. They don't stand on a platform and go, we're going to die in 12 years unless we save the orcas from the falling glaciers and everything else that goes with it and the big laser spot that's going to boil the middle of the ocean. We have to tax people to death to fix it. No, they just don't use plastic if they choose not to or they take care of certain areas. They plant a few more trees. They do things themselves in their own community that affects, yes, on a smaller end, 
but they don't turn around when it's all said and done, go on social media and say, hey, look what I did. They just do it. That's the difference. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two is still ahead, and it being Friday and all, Donkey of Shame is still ahead as well. We'll see who gets to ride the beast and much more here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA.